0: This episode is brought to you by Unblock Your Way to Oneness, the online course that will radically transform intimacy in your marriage. Go to com forward slash oneness to learn more. Claim your special Jewish Latin Princess discount and see what other course graduates have said about the course. Jewish Latin Princess, episode 112, Gila Glassberg, Intuitive Eating Coach. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yaël, welcome back to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yaël Trush, your host. I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving. If you celebrated um, the holiday, um, you know what I did most of Thanksgiving vacation? I decluttered my home. <laughs> <laughs> so while everyone is on a frenzy buying things on Black Friday, I'm still getting rid of stuff, selling stuff online or giving it away. Boy, does it feel good. Do you ever do that? I I just love doing that. That's all good, but what's even better is that I also celebrated my daughter's bat mitzvah, not this Thanksgiving weekend, but the Sunday before. And that was really amazing. So this past week was my week to, I guess, recover from that. We had a very, very special day. We brought in Rahi Pin son, author of Rising, the Book of Chala, whom you met, uh you may you may remember her from wow, all the way back in episode 58. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. It was a really fun episode where we went into the motivation for writing her book and we went into the mitzvah of challah, its importance, and how it's become a trend, etc. She was great then. And let me tell you, in person, she's even better. We had her lead a chala bake in our home with my daughter and her friends. And it was so lovely. It was so fun. The girls enjoyed it so much. And it was so full of depth and meaning. Everyone loved it. And then in the evening, she spoke about challah uh, being a recipe for life at a Chabad house in West Houston. And she led a braiding demo, um, which the ladies really, really loved love. It was fantastic. Anyways, the whole bat mitzvah was amazing. My daughter gave a beautiful speech, which I'm very proud of her. She wrote herself. Um, She did the mitzvah of hafreshat challah for the first time. And of course, there was a lot more during the day that we did that was super meaningful. If you're following me on Instagram, you probably caught already some of the pictures. Now I'm waiting for the professional pictures to come in and I can't wait. Now, You didn't come here to hear about the bat mitzvah, but rather you came here to hear my interview, which I'm very happy about because it is such a good one. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been on a diet? Have you been on several diets? Well, According to my guest and other guests I've had on this show, my, this might be a road you don't want to take for you could be tuning, turning off the natural intuitive eating cues that God put into your body. Um, your body has a way of letting you know um, what feels good, and what doesn't feel good. And um, we tune those off eventually, I guess. Um, you might've been doing this for years, which might be exacerbating the problem that you want to get rid of in the first place and developing this, um, yo-yo spiraling in the, you know, uh, relationship with food and, um, just going a very negative path. Ladies, I have Gila Glassberg on the show. Gila Glassberg is a master's level registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. She became passionate about the field of nutrition and dietetics as a teenager. Um, What happened as a teenager, which later on led her to the field of nutrition, being on a dangerous place and being in a borderline place uh, when it comes to negative thoughts and behaviors around food, can this be turned around? And how can you help your child not go down a negative path when it comes to disordered eating? Really, practically, how do we avoid sending the wrong messages to our teens? Trust is a big part of it, mothers. How did Gila come across the non-diet weight neutral approach, approach to health called intuitive eating? And... Ultimately, what was the disconnect between her training as a registered dietitian and intuitive eating? By the way, what is the difference between a nutritionist and and a registered dietitian? I didn't know this, so it's important to know. We also go deep into the benefits of this approach, of course, um, and so much more. Gila now works one-on-one and in group settings um, with uh, women to help Jewish women break out of chronic dieting and regain clarity into what's really important to them. So let's hear it out. Let's hear Gila Glassberg. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know that um, you've been a longtime listener of the show, which is great. And uh, it's really fun to get a listener who's also coming on the show as an expert on a field that I think is very interesting to a lot of my listeners intuitive eating.
1: Yes, I am so honored to be talking to you. And I listen to you every week. (laughs) And and I get so much inspiration from the show. So I'm so happy to be here.
0: I'm always curious to know how to how did you just How of people discover the show? How did you discover the show?
1: So actually, I'm good friends with Rena Reiser, who you've uh, interviewed, yes. I think twice. Yes. And she sent me um, your recording with Figgy Pollock, which was incredible. And I actually did Faggy Pollock's course because of that. Very nice. And yeah, and. I've ever since I've listened to it religiously and I've told like my family members about it, my friends, such a great podcast.
0: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the support and I appreciate what you're doing for women in your part of the world, which is you're an intuitive eating coach yourself, um, similar to Rena Reiser, whom you mentioned is our mutual friend who's been here on the show, but you're also a master's level registered dietitian, Um, intuitive eating counseling or coaching, I guess, came if I recall correctly, came after you had already finished your master's degree. So I'm curious, what is it that you found in intuitive eating that made you take the leap or transition into that, which perhaps you weren't finding in your in your chosen field up to that point? What was the disconnect if there were if there was any or was this just a natural progression of being a dietitian?
1: That's a really good question. And it's it's exact your question is describing exactly how I felt a massive disconnect between what I learned in school and how I felt personally about nutrition. So um for me, what happened was, is that I, um, I always say this, I'm one of nine, I'm the fourth of nine and my mother didn't make sure that we ate healthy. She just made sure that we ate. So Mm -hmm. growing up in a family like that, I didn't know much about nutrition and healthy food. I just, it, it wasn't really spoken about. I didn't really have any relationship with food. Let's say I just ate when I was hungry and I didn't really think about it until, um, I went away for high school and, um, all my friends were always talking about like dieting and how fat they were and how they were so unhappy with their body. And I just sort of like jumped on the bandwagon and was like, oh, I guess I sh- this is something I should be doing. I should be restricting calories. I should be unhappy with my body. And, um, you know, I dabbled in like a-, a bunch of different diets until I was like, none of these diets are working. I think I should just like try to not eat as much as I could, which is extremely dangerous. And it's a really disordered thought. But um, what happened was is that when I did do that and I did see weight loss, instead of people coming over to me in a concerned way or asking me if I'm okay, I got tons and tons and tons of compliments like, you look so good. How did you lose the weight? And that just reinforced my negative behaviors. And um, Baruch Hashem, I never, I never had a full-blown eating disorder. I would call that disordered eating. Um, I went on a trip with my friends when I was in 11th grade. We went to L.A. for our winter break. And so they were with me all the time and they saw the way that I was eating and they confronted me. And I was like, wow, I really like this isn't healthy. Just because I lost weight doesn't mean that that's healthy. So um, yeah, at that age, I was like, okay, so what is healthy? I wanted to know so badly in 11th grade. I was like, I was starting to do a lot of research about nutrition and health and what's healthy and what's not healthy.
0: Mm -hmm. So so let me stop you there because you mentioned negative behaviors. And I want to poke at this a little bit because... What was it that was negative? Because just the mere fact that a person in 11th grade loses weight doesn't necessarily mean it's negative. So you said you got the compliments, and that reaffirmed the negative behaviors. And then your friends pointed out the negative behaviors. But I I, I, I'm, I, I still, I still want to make sure for listeners, if you could clarify, because I'm still not... Ju- Again, like I said, just losing weight doesn't necessarily mean that there is a negative behavior. In fact, it could be a very positive move on your part. Right. So um, I'm not going to
1: say the specific things that I did, because I wouldn't want to give somebody like tools. Ideas. But, yeah, ideas, <laughs> negative exactly. ideas. Negative Good. ideas, because I've, you know, I have been there in, in, in high school, I remember reading a book on eating disorders. And it really was like a guide to have an eating disorder, unfortunately. So you really do have to be careful. But I will say, let's just say in general, skipping meals, um, eating very little at meals. Um, oh, so you not- were
0: basically consciously trying to starve yourself. Yes, you weren't just losing weight to, to, you know, to get Mm -hmm. to a point and then say, oh, this is really where I need to be and just happily ever after.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was, it was really, um, now I actually do treat people with eating disorders in my office and that's an eating disorder behavior. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I know that listeners might be like, oh, what's the big deal? But it really, really is a big deal. And, and, um, eating disorders are actually the, the, um, the what's it called? Um, the mental health disorder that has the highest mortality rates.
0: So basically, in some ways, your friends kind of saved you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always say that they they really um, they really pointed out to me that like just because I lost weight doesn't mean that that's healthy. You know, I don't know if they said it in those in those words, but it was like, okay, wow. This just because I lost weight, I'm not healthy. Like, what is healthy? Like, I was so there was there's such a mix up in our society with weight loss and health. It's not always the case. Now, you know? I so just
0: I have to highlight the, the, the quote unquote miracle of the story because I have, I know people who despite family and friends pointing out and therapists and all the treatments, it's been many, many years in a journey. So just the fact that right. you were able to rise above that. Uh, I mean, let's let's go there. (laughs) That was a miracle. Yeah. No, you're right. It was,
1: it was definitely a miracle. And I will say like, as I get more into the story, you'll see that this exact, um, experience really helped me professionally as I started to learn about intuitive eating. So even though at the, even though I wasn't engaging in those types of negative, dangerous behaviors, I still had a lot of food rules and, um, I, I was definitely in a better place, but I was like, you know, weighing myself a lot always checking nutrition facts. Um, If I was in a place that didn't have the foods that I thought were healthy, I wouldn't eat. So like I wasn't in a dangerous place necessarily, but I was still kind of maybe borderline for many years Hmm. until I actually heard about intuitive eating. I thought- um, okay, skipping the sweets all week and then only letting myself have them on Shabbos is, is actually a very good thing to do. And I don't recommend that anymore because what I what ended up happening was that I would binge on those foods on Shabbos. And that's never a good feeling to feel out of control around food. It's not it's not how we're meant to eat food in an out of control, binging, overeating type of way.
0: Okay, so now I'm starting to see what you we described before as the disconnect between the traditional you know what you were learning as a dietitian, and the new field that you um, encountered. Yep, very interesting. So let's 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 break it up for listeners. So you mentioned before, you know, as a registered dietitian, perhaps you know, I well, actually, why don't you describe? Why don't you contrast them both a little bit more?
1: Okay so f- first I'll just tell you that at that when I was in 11th grade I decided I wanted to become a like a nutritionist mm-hmm. and I didn't even know anything about the field. I didn't know anyone who was in the field and I didn't know at the time that I, I I people are starting to know this more and more but I really want to get this message across that if somebody's a nutritionist it's not the same thing as a registered dietitian. So okay. in order to become a registered dietitian I had to go to school for many years and learn tons of different sciences, biochemistry, anatomy and physiology um, the science of nutrition. And then in order to get your RD and sit for that exam, you have to get into a one-year unpaid internship and work in the field. Mm-hmm. And to be a nutritionist, there's no actual credentialing for that. There's no um, like way to do that. Like Some people take like a one-month course and call themselves a nutritionist. And then people go to them because they say that they're a nutritionist, but they're not an official clinician. Mm-hmm. So that's just important to know. And I didn't know that either. And when I heard about it, I was like, I don't know if I could do this. It's such a like scary field. It's so scientific. But I was like, no, I'm doing this. I want to help Jewish women like because I struggled so much. Um, so thank God I did it, and I got into an internship. I went to Lehman College, and I also got my master's there. And I started to work in the field. I was working in a nursing home. And um, the traditional well, – what they call it is medical nutrition therapy. That's the actual therapy that we do for – nursing home um, residents or hospital um, patients is very, is very much like putting restricting calories, putting people on certain diets based on their certain medical condition, which there's no real problem with that. And I still continue to do that. But the, it's like the shame that comes with it and like the morality that we put on the way that people make food choices. So that is where I started to see a problem. Like if I would go into um, like a resident's room and they were like, um, very sick from a sorry medical condition. And I'm going in there and I'm like, Oh, are you sure you want to have another donut? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to help people with their food and enjoy their food. I don't want to be the food police. I really didn't like that feeling.
0: Okay, so you so you, how do you come across intuitive eating? What happened? So what happened was is that I went to see this
1: therapist. Her name is Parola Bromwitz and I love her and I always talk about her and I quote her. She is actually a um parenting um she lectures on parenting and marriage and she's an incredible woman. I love her. She was trained by Miriam Adahan and um I heard her speak on Torah anytime once and I I loved her. So I told my friend about her and um when my my friend saw that she was speaking so I went to see I went to hear her speak live. And she's chasidish so she doesn't drive. Mm-hmm. So I offered to drive her home.
0: Wow. And-
1: And I was schmoozing with her and I I was like, oh, I love your classes. She's like, oh, I actually do like private counseling. So when I was going through this issue where I felt like they call it like, I guess, cognitive dissidence, like when I was working in the field, I I felt so unfulfilled. Like I knew that I wanted to do this, this degree and I put my all into it. And I had, I had um, my second child while I was in my internship. So I was very busy with my kids and everything. And I was like, I need to get this degree. I need to help from women. (laughs) And I just didn't feel like I was doing that and so I went to her to to talk about it really like I wanted to get coached through mm-hmm. it and she was like she's like you know what I think you need you need intuitive eating and I had never heard of it through all my schooling and wow. the book intuitive eating was written by two registered dietitians, so it's a very well researched um book it's a very well researched approach they use all their nutrition knowledge and research to write that book so I was like oh I never heard of it so she t- she told me about Rena because she saw Rina's article in the Mishpacha, which I don't really read. Mm-hmm. And I got in touch with Rina, who's extremely accessible and open and so was so interested in talking with me. And she's like, oh, I have... She even told me, she's like, I have a WhatsApp chat for from... Um, from women who work in this field, so I joined the chat and like ever since then, Rena and I are very close and we do a lot of podcasts together and workshops and we talk regularly and I it just I basically when she told me about it, I was like okay and I, I don't know what you're talking about but I need to read this book and then mm-hmm. I read the book and I was like that's it. This is what happened to me in high school. When I would restrict all those calories, I would binge on those foods, and then I would feel guilt and shame about my food choices and my body. And that's exactly what intuitive eating talks about. About, but there's there's ten principles of intuitive eating, and I think that social and social media, or even just the regular media, it promotes it as like one or two of the principles, and then people get confused, like oh, just eat whatever you want. If I would eat, if I would eat whatever I want, I would eat chocolate all day, and that's not that's not what we're saying. To eat whatever you want, we're not saying that. So. I really do want people to read, I encourage people to read the book, ask questions, get clarity on what intuitive eating is really about, because it's really not just like eat whatever you want and be happy about your body.
0: Are there some people, Gila, that have this, I guess, more intuitively, pardon the pun, but like, are there some of us who like, when when, when you know these principles, and you look at them, you say, Oh, there's people who just intuitively practice this like there's people who just this is the way they relate to food and again I don't know exactly what those 10 principles are and then there's others who we are not and therefore we've maybe engage or there's this dissonance between the way we want to behave around food but we don't or you know
1: yeah so they're definitely what I see in my practice and just by speaking to people is that usually when When somebody hasn't engaged in dieting, they are naturally an intuitive eater because. Wait, what's an engaging diet? What did you say? No, if they if somebody has um, been on a diet, basically they sort of turn off their their intuitive cues.
0: Oh, okay. The reason
1: why is because a diet tells you what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, right? And our bodies know what we need to eat to stay healthy, to feel good. Yeah, sometimes in my office, I'm just doing very general nutrition counseling. And I'm telling them, try this and this and this and see how it feels in your body. I don't know how your body feels. Only you know how your body feels. And we give the power to the client. We don't say like, I'm the expert of your
0: body. I'm not the expert of anybody's body,
1: Mm -hmm. you know?
0: You know, it makes me wonder, how do we communicate this to our teenagers, because as you said, this started for you. in as a teenager, and what just hearing you, you know, sometimes as mothers, we could tell our kids, you know, well, how did that make you feel? Or, you know, or we could, and maybe it's not an error, or maybe it is, I don't know, I'm asking, or we could say, Okay, so maybe diet, and we might say mm-hmm. it completely innocently, but perhaps we're making a big mistake. So can we go there? Can can we discuss how do we how do we how do we avoid making mistakes? in this area with our teens? So that's a great question.
1: Um, so there is actually another model. It's called the division of responsibility. It's um, It was written by someone named Ellen Satter, who's also a dietitian and a social worker. And it's, a, it's sort of like intuitive eating for kids. And the premise of that is that the parent um, decides the what. So the parent decides what's given. So we choose as parents what we think is healthy for our children. And then the child decides how much and if any. So you provide let's say I always say as a very general rule for a meal, I like to have a protein and a carbohydrate and a vegetable. That's Mm -hmm. what I like to do. Or a fruit, depending on you know, the other the other things that the child ate. So I'll put that on the table and I don't say a word. Mm -hmm. And I'm not always perfect at it, but I try. And and I've seen such powerful results. Like my daughter who's she's almost seven, like she I used to force her to eat. Like I'm a dietitian. I know what she needs. (laughs) But she didn't want any of the stuff that I forced her to eat and now like I'll put the you know the food out on the table and I won't force them to eat it and my daughter she likes avocados my son doesn't like avocados but he likes tomatoes and I put those foods on the on the table and there's more to this you have to make sure there's always a safe food like a food that you know your child likes like let's say you don't want to cater to each one of your children because then they they know you will and they won't eat the food that you provide but if they you do this for a long enough time and they trust that they're going to get fed every two to three hours and there's always a safe food for them you're giving them autonomy to say you know what your body needs you could listen to your hunger fullness cues i don't know what your body i mean you are giving them what you think they need but you don't know how how hungry or full they are and we say to them you can't be hungry it's been an it's only been an hour but we don't really know that they might be hungry maybe they maybe that food wasn't calorically dense enough for them for the amount of energy they put out so there is like there's trusting that you do your part and they'll do their part and doing as much as you can like to make sure that they have the foods that you deem healthy and sometimes I have to provide that nutrition education which I'm happy to do but after that it's like you you know what's healthy for your kid and you know what they what they generally like what they generally don't and the more that you model this behavior of being flexible with your meal choices and choosing healthier foods that you think are good for you and not feeling shame and guilt about your food choices and your body, the more that they see that and the more that
0: they'll come to it. Right. So a big part of this is definitely is modeling. Now, you mentioned the safe food, what happens when the safe food is something that you know, well, you think you suspect is not good for them, and they'll eat the bagel, they didn't like Mm -hmm. your chicken or your fish, your salad and your brown rice, right? And mm-hmm. they're old enough, they're in tweens or teens. And you know, they have the freedom to go make themselves a bagel with cream cheese. That's, you mm-hmm. know, and you're not going to say anything. But mm-hmm. you know that that child's going to compa- com- complain a few hours later, I'm too fat, I eat too many bagels. What happens then? Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you
1: and I'll, I'll challenge you to ask you what you would do if she was 21 and said that to you. Because we're giving we're trying to help them for when they are an adult, right right right. And we can't control their food choices when they're an adult. We can't control them. So we're just trying to set the the you know, the groundwork for when we're at home and we're modeling and um, I just think that if we if we model like eating something and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so fat, that's what they'll do. I'm not saying that you know that person's doing that. They may hear be hearing that from their friend, but you could just encourage them to be like, you know, I think that you look beautiful or like that's you, you could choose what to eat or like what do you want to have in the house that makes you feel good you know what I mean like mm-hmm. involve them take them to the grocery store show them fruits and vegetables show them the foods that you think are healthy model eating them and then you sort of have to like I always say like you do your hashtas right and right? Hashem decides the rest so Correct. like our kids are we want to give them autonomy and we want them to know that we trust them that's the best thing that we could do for our kids is to say like I trust you like I know that you could figure this out instead of like you can't figure this out. I'm gonna do it for you. Like right. that, just you know, absolutely makes, this, makes a big disconnect.
0: So let's go back to women. Um, you've been doing this for a long time. When women come to you, what are they typically struggling with? What are what are what are the issues that you're seeing women facing most often, or that? repeat themselves uh, in the women that you coach? So I will say I've only been doing
1: like my private practice for about two years okay. but I basically see the same thing with every single client is that <clears throat> there's a bunch of things that I see but the main theme is that they feel really bad about their body. Mm-hmm. We talk about um, what went on in their house as a child and a lot of times they were put on a diet as a child mm. or they put themselves on a diet as a teen and they feel like while well, it worked for me when I was you know. 50 15, it should work for me now. And I, there's a lot of education that I have to give them. Like, um, First of all, your first diet usually, uh, quote unquote, works the best because your body hasn't learned yet that you're going to be in starvation mode. So basically, if you're restricting calories or carbs or any type of food group, your body doesn't know, oh, I'm doing this on purpose. Your body thinks you're in a desert and doesn't have enough food. So your body will actually start to hold on to those calories and carbohydrates to, be, to make sure that you have enough stored. So people go on that first diet and it's so seductive and they feel so good. They lost so much weight and then they try the same diet again and they can't lose any weight because your body will hold on to any ounce of food if it feels like it's starving. Mm -hmm. So I have, you know, I explain that to people all the time and I reinforce it and, and tell them like, You know, that's that's probably why you're not losing weight or because what intuitive eating shows is that dieting doesn't really work for long term weight loss. Because, first of all, sometimes there's a massive genetic component that um, that you're just meant to be a certain size. And we don't we don't like to hear that because in this 2019, we're told a size two or a size zero is the perfect size to be. And if you just tried hard enough, you would be that size. But like it's we I sort of like equate it to like um, like like, binding your feet, you know, to make them smaller. Like, you're like you're hurting yourself because you wanna fit a certain ideal, but like your body's not meant to be that size. Mm. So a lot of this is like acceptance, body acceptance, body respect. Um t- asking women, okay, let's not talk about the way your body looks. What has your body done for you today? Do you have did your body produce a child? Let's talk mm. about that. Um did your like did you lift your child up today? Um were you able to make dinner for your family? Were you able to work? And I do have women like roll their eyes and be like, oh come on <laughs> Like, you know, but the more we talk about this and the more we talk about their value system, um, they really do open up to this. And I, th- I see a big shift in the, the non-Jewish world and the Jewish world. Intuitive eating is becoming a very, very big thing because everybody's so sick of it. Who wants to be told you're not good enough? That's what a diet's t- telling you. That's mm-hmm. why I always like to say that. Um, what is what is dieting and food obsession hiding in your life? What what are you not dealing with that like food's covering up for you, whether it's restricting or binging? Because if you go to a shabbos meal and you're with other women, 90% of the conversation is what's the latest diet that you're on, and it's it's sad. It's I I understand. I don't judge anyone for doing it, and I hear it all the time. And I'm a dietitian, so it's even more for me. People watch what I eat. People ask me about everything. <laughs> <day. laughs> but it's like it's like okay, so what are you hiding? from what is like dieting like dieting so much easier to talk about than like the pain that you're feeling in xyz so like i want i, I try to get real with my clients like what what's the real problem
0: Has marital intimacy become the source of emotional pain, tension, and frustration? Or do you just sense there's more to gain from this special part of marriage, but you don't know how to get there? I may have the answer for you. It's called Unblock Your Way to Oneness. This is a course that can transform your marriage. When marital intimacy is a struggle in any way, all other aspects of your marriage become shadowed by the frustration of a disappointing relationship. If not addressed, struggles with intimacy can become bigger and deeper over time, but it doesn't have to be that way. Unblock Your Way to Oneness is the clear clear, thorough course that will take you on a transformative journey so that you can have a satisfying, fulfilling, and joyous, intimate bond with your husband. Head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness to learn more and to claim your special discount today. That's jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness. So then that is that is actually probably the question what is typically or what are the common problems that people are really facing but not dealing with and then the eating is the cover up. So I would say in that in
1: that case, it is definitely individualized, Uh like, like, that's where I, we find out in session, okay, so this is really coming from the fact that you got in a fight with your husband, or this is really coming from because you feel out of control with your teenager, or, um, so for for the people who like really struggle with an eating disorder um this is something that I learned from my supervisor and and I always think about this even with clients who don't have an eating disorder um what is the let's say the eating disorder or the disordered eating doing for you because as humans like we always have to find a coping mechanism for when we're struggling right Mm -hmm. so like some people when they're healthy and they're well they'll go for therapy or I talk a lot about self-care like if you're not practicing good self-care food becomes much more rewarding um but for people like who have an eating disorder, that's like, that's their sense of control. Mm. So it's it's serving them. They're continuing to do it because in some way it is serving them. And I always like to validate my clients. Like, I understand why you're doing this. Like, I've been there. I totally get it. And it's easier to deal with like your food problems than like your marriage problems. Like, I totally get that. So I like to, I always say awareness is the first step. So sometimes we get to that really painful point and it's like, oh my gosh, now what? And it's like, like I'm so happy for you. You figured it out. Like, let's go forward.
0: But uh, what is the forward though? Because at this point, if somebody has to deal with something else, does that mean they've graduated from intuitive eating coaching?
1: So I am not a therapist. And I'm, I'm very like open with like the fact that I'm not a therapist. And sometimes I do recommend also going to therapy. Um, So I'll say so I'll just say like, what's the next step? So first of all, I there's 10 principles of intuitive eating. I don't go in any specific order. And the authors of the book are very clear that you don't have to go in any specific order. I have found that there's an order that general order that works for my clients. So I talk about the diet mentality, which is the first principle rejecting the diet mentality Mm -hmm. and, and all the things that we were just talking about, about how dieting doesn't work and how Um, society wants you to be a certain size and feel like you're not enough. That's all about um, the diet mentality. So it's really just teaching them about what diet diet mentality is and where it comes up in your life and where it comes from.
0: Okay, what's another one?
1: (laughs) And then we talk about um, the next two principles I like to do together are honor your hunger and feel your fullness. So I'll give them something called the hunger fullness scale. And it's um, a subjective tool that we use and it's in the intuitive eating book and it's a scale from zero to 10 and i'll have my clients look at it and i'll ask them how hungry are you from on a scale from zero to 10 and it's very descriptive the scale also so it will say like let's say zero is like um primal hunger like you'll like kill someone to eat you know like really intense (laughs) hunger and then let's say a 10 is like thanksgiving fall you know, where you have to like unbutton your pants. Maybe. So <laughs> so I explained to them that when you start eating on a zero or a one on the scale, you tend to eat till a nine or a 10. And many people do this on a daily basis. They ignore their hungerfulness cues for many reasons. They're busy, they're stressed, the diet's telling them to, and they come to a meal and they eat 4,000 calories. And they're like, I'm out of control. I'm a binge eater. No, you're not a binge eater. You're just not eating enough throughout the day. So I like to start with the physical signs of hunger so that mm-hmm. we can differentiate between physical hunger and emotional hunger. So we talk a lot about like just physical signs of hunger, physical signs of fullness, practicing using the hunger fullness scale, eating every two to three hours. And sometimes that that helps. And that might be it. They may have just not been eating enough. Um, and then there are principles like um, challenging the food police and not using food to cope with your emotions. So that is where I'll talk about um, different forms of self-care, therapy, um, going out with a friend or things like that, journaling, things that come up for you that you're using food to hide your emotions. So that's where we talk like a lot about emotions and how to deal with painful emotions and it's okay to feel pain and what are we going to do And we do have um, strong negative emotions. And one of the practices I'll have people do is once we've established the hunger fullness cues, and they've practiced that for a while, I'll ask them, if you have an urge to eat, and you know, you're not physically hungry, set a five minute timer, and sit with your emotion, and see what comes up for you.
0: (laughs) It reminds me of that, you know, when you're like, you're about to buy something. (laughs) Just Put it, put it on the card and leave it. (laughs) Think about it for a month. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, go on. You you mentioned the food police, but is it, are you, are you referring to your own, like you policing yourself when you said challenging the food police? So that is one of the principles and it's kind of figuring out who the food police is for you. So
1: sometimes Ah. it is just, you know, the media and sometimes it was your mother that put you on a diet when you were three (laughs) or every time you go to her house, (laughs) she gives you that that stare when you put a piece of cake on your plate, you know, like. Who is the food police for you?
0: Interesting. You know, I, I, I sort of went on this, I, I alluded to this, but in your estimation, um, Gila, is there a link between emotional eating and emotional spending or an Overeating and overspending, and you know I'm a money nerd and a personal finance nerd, so yeah. (laughs) So you know where this is coming from, but it really it's 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 a question. What 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 do you think? Is this something you see? That's a good question. Um, I think I'll tell you what I think.
1: Actually, I haven't thought about this, but that's a really really good question. I think that because food is much more readily available than money. let's oh, say yeah. in your house food is the easiest target and i think that's why people struggle so much with it because they they might not have the money in the bank to go and overspend but they do have the ice cream in their freezer
0: you know it's interesting have you ever read janine rotha's uh, book which one? Uh, the one on, uh, I think it's like unexpected revelations about food and money or lost in finance. No, I think it's. no, so, so, but I will. <laughs> okay, so basically, it's a story of how she lost all her life savings to um, Bernie Madoff, oh, um, wow. and how that that experience revealed other things. She, she's obviously a writer. And I, I read the book more from a personal finance perspective, because I was very curious to, to read, you know, what that experience must have been like from a financial perspective. And I can't remember exactly Exactly. But I think it's much more about her relationship with food than about the mm-hmm. relationship with money. So I, I I don't know that I necessarily love the book. It was probably not what I was expecting. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you would find it interesting, especially if you like her work. I... Um. So, just came to mind. yeah. That sounds that sounds
1: very interesting. Actually,
0: I you recommended
1: a book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. Oh, I that, is podcast, a, that is a podcast. That is awesome. I I love it. Right? I love that book. <laughs> I fell in love with that book. It's helped me even in my practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a helpful one. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know it, it, this begs the question because this seems to be well as the name says intuitive. It seems to be mm-hmm. something that we should you know it it would should help us so naturally. I mean, rejecting the diet mentality and mm-hmm. all the things that we just, uh, you just walked us. Just- through And it begs the question, are there men involved in intuitive eating? Because I could presume this is a field that could also be helpful for men. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe men aren't struggling as much with body. Well, actually, no, there are plenty of men who struggle with a negative relationship with food and body shaming and other food related issues. So are there practitioners um, in intuitive eating who are helping men in this area?
1: Yeah, there definitely are. Um, I know from men in the community. His name is Binyamin Weil. If anybody wants his contact, they could reach out to me because um, the, the, statist- the statistics are showing that eating disorders are on the rise for men. Because if you look in the media, you'll see that, we're, that they're targeting men also, <laughs> the way that men are looking. So people are, are <laughs> feeling and, and I have and I have I've had um, women call me because of their their sons, their teenage sons. And really? it's 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 everywhere you know it's universal that people don't feel good enough about their body and they they'll do anything (laughs) to change it and that's why the dieting industry is a like is a 60 billion dollar industry per year because it's feeding off of that insecurity of human beings that you're not good enough
0: right and that's that's something that uh janine roth talks about like they're the good enough the not you're not good enough and also the the concept she equates the there's never enough money with never enough food feeling right and that right. that turned out to be her experience that's what she parallels throughout the book well i'm very happy to hear that there are men involved in this um but that's kind of scary actually that <laughs> yeah it is scary it
1: is really scary and i think that the the work of intuitive eating is really really needed and amazing and i see how it transforms people's lives like which, because it's not just about the food
0: which is kind of also scary that you having gone to school not not that long ago, um, at your master's program, and you mentioned that intuitive eating came from registered dietitians work, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. wasn't even presented to you. Is that changing? Do you do? You, are so, you aware of what's yeah. happening
1: in terms of curriculum? Yeah, so I'm very happy to say this. And I'm a big nutrition nerd. So anybody on this podcast, who's a dietitian, I'm happy to tell you that um yesterday just yesterday there was a fancy conference it's um food nutrition conference Mm -hmm. Uh, they have it every year in different places and yesterday Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rash, the two authors of intuitive eating spoke and they showed on Instagram that it was um people were sitting on the floor the room was so crowded that's how many people want to learn about intuitive eating and I'm sure that it will become it's just growing very very rapidly now they just they're coming out with their fourth edition next year and it's It's really taking off because their research, if you read the book, you'll see it's very, very content, content heavy. It's very well researched. It's like it's unrefutable. It's so it's so it's so true. That's why I fell in love with the book. It's just explains everything so well.
0: So what did you have to do to get certified as an intuitive eating coach? This is more of a technical test.
1: Um, Yeah. So I worked with one of the authors, Evelyn Trivoli. So in order to get certified, you read the book and take a test. That's one step. And then the Mm -hmm. second step is um, a six-week course that Evelyn um, walks you through each of the principles. It's via teleconference. Mm. Um, And then the third step is that for three sessions, you actually have like one – it's, it's not one on one training with Evelyn, but it's like, there's only eight people out in the group, because you all have to go around and p- create a case study or something that's happened to you with a client or even a family member or yourself. And she answers the question. And once you go through all three of those steps, you're certified.
0: You know, I, I wonder if as you were embarking on this journey, and this resonated so much with you, were, th- were you finding that there were Jewish principles embedded in this um new philosophy of intuitive uh eating that that resonated with you as you were learning more about this and and as you've progressed in in, in your expertise uh,
1: yeah i love that question and i'm going to tell you that I, I guess you would say it's, it's religious concepts but really what was amazing for me to see was that when I after I went to Parul Abramowitz, she um, gave me this course that she gave. It's called Self Parenting, and it's a series of seven um, seven workshops that she gives over the phone. Mm-hmm. And she talks all about how um, we think that parenting is like very very complicated, but really we need to first learn to parent ourselves. Yes, and. Uh, I love that so much and she so I listened to her recordings over and over again and she talked all about like our automatic negative thoughts and what we're talking to, to ourselves about and how we we need to reframe our thoughts and using self-care as um as a way, like realizing that if we don't put ourselves like first, nobody could come second. And she would talk about this all the time. And then I read the intuitive eating book and it talks all about that also, about how if we're not meeting our basic needs, that food becomes much more, more rewarding. Carol talks about other things becoming more rewarding. So for me, the food thing really resonated. And Peril has like a like she has a very different way of looking at things religiously. And it speaks to me very, very much for people who are very, very deep and very emotional and emotionally sensitive. It's it's like an approach that really speaks to me and it would probably really speak to you. And intuitive eating is very much similar to her approach.
0: Well, it's you know, Rena is Rena is the one who brought to my attention this idea that listen, Hashem gave you the cues, your your body intuitively intuitively knows like a child she explained to me one something that I of course I had never thought about because I don't really regularly think about these ideas but your mm. child in, and you alluded to this earlier right your child intuitively knows when what he needs to eat when he needs to eat when he's f- feeling full it is as we progress through life that then we start short-circuiting those signals I guess yeah hmm.
1: Exactly. When a child is when a baby's born. Well, first of all, I always say this when a baby's born. The first thing a baby does is drink milk, mm-hmm. sweet milk, lactose. And we associate eating with comfort a lot because of that reason. And that's okay. I always say that, that right. using food to comfort yourself sometimes
0: as a tool is okay. If well, it's your only God tool, made we it, have a problem. And God made it very pleasurable for a reason. Exactly. There is, right. We should enjoy it.
1: Right, I mean, we have to breathe in order to live, but that's not pleasurable. But Hashem, we also have to eat, and Hashem made that something that we enjoy, and it's pleasurable. And dieting sort of steals that.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dieting steals that. You know, Kila, I, I, I would imagine, and maybe um because I'm an HS, an HSB, I'm like a highly sensitive person, which I only discovered. <laughs> you would laugh at me, but I only discovered this a few years ago. But um. I would only imagine that being a coach would be like draining to a certain extent may um do do you ever feel drained from your clients or from like like you've absorbing too much of their problems and and if so we've talked about self care so how do you take care of yourself so that you in fact don't get totally burned out and are your best version of yourself for them um and then for for your family so I have to tell you, Yael,
1: you're like the best interviewer. You ask such like <laughs> thought-provoking questions. Um, that's a really good question. And I'll tell you what I've learned. If anyone out there is a coach or looking to do what I do, I read this amazing book. It's called um, Book Yourself Solid.
0: I don't know if you ever read it. it but Why does it, it sound so familiar?
1: It's definitely a popular book. I don't remember the author. but Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: This is very familiar. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. But what he he explains is that, when you're doing work like like um, interpersonal relationship work, you need to be looking for your ideal client and cater to your ideal client because for many reasons, but the major reason is that if you have a client that um, isn't like isn't ideal for you and isn't like um, like does you don't connect with them, you don't deliver your best work, and mm-hmm. therefore they don't refer you, so you both lose. Mm-hmm. You're not inspired. You're not motivated because you're drained. Uh, so huh. what I, what so I have to take my own advice from like what I give to my clients and practice very very good self care and strong boundaries, which I very much try to do. I'm not perfect, obviously, but when I have that ideal client in my office and they are motivated to change and they are happy to listen, they they're done with dieting. So so for people who call me and they're like, I really want to lose weight, but I'm gonna try this. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. I'm not the right person for you because I'm not going to sit there for an hour convincing you that you that you shouldn't be dieting. Everybody could do whatever they want. And I never, ever judge. I try very hard not to. But if you're ready to change and you're ready to have a more meaningful life because dieting has stolen so much of your life, I am here for you. And I I am so happy to to give people that light because Mm -hmm. it is so rewarding and it's so meaningful. I I love
0: love that. I love that you've been able to identify this is the point where you are really ready to work with me hmm. Amazing. What, are, what what since we're talking about this, what have been some of the challenges that you faced um, as a coach in this field trying to grow your business in this niche?
1: So what I find is that 90 percent of people really just want weight loss. Mm hmm. And that's definitely hard. And I and I also I totally get it. And I've spoken to Evelyn Tripoli. She's so accessible. And she's helped me through this. And, sh- and she always says, you're just planting seeds. You never know. Sometimes people will call you five years later, because because what you told them really resonated with them, but they weren't able to give up the weight loss. So they tried the dieting and they've been on that horrible restrict binge cycle for five years, but now they'll come to you because they've lived it. So it's hard. It's hard because As a dietitian, and I take insurance, by the way, just so people know, as a dietitian, you think like now's the time to be doing um, nutrition because everybody wants to lose weight. So you think like, oh, everybody's going to come to me. But if I'm not doing weight loss, people don't really like they're like surprised to hear I don't do
0: weight loss. Right. And we live in this age era of instant gratification, right? They want the weight loss and they want it now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right. Exactly. So it's like, that's really, really been challenging, but I thank God my practice is growing and I'm see, I really am seeing more and more people, um, also, I say I say to them, like, go onto my website, listen to my podcast with Rena. like, and even recently, I got a call, I got a new client, and she's like, I saw a lot of other dietitians in the area, but I saw your podcast, and I listened to it, and it resonated, so that's why, like, we do this, these podcasts, and this work, because I want people to hear, I'm not, I'm not a mainstream, I am a registered dietitian, I'm an RD, but I also, I'm not a mainstream dietitian, and I, I don't promote, I don't promote weight loss, um, I don't promote restrictive diets. Let's say if people lose weight because of intuitive eating, so they lose weight, but I don't promote restrictive diets.
0: Hmm, beautiful, Giva, this has been so informative and so engaging, and I, I just absolutely love this conversation. Let's wrap it up with what I, you know, what I call yeah, JLP, course, fill so in the blanks, <laughs> and um, you know how I incarnate all my guests. So let's go for it. You yes. ready? I'm ready. I'm okay. So I'm Gay Like Glassberg and I feel most spiritual when I actually feel most spiritual when I'm on the spin bike. Really? Going really fast. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. So you and you do enjoy exercise. I love it. I
1: feel so connected to my body and to mm-hmm. my mind. I love it. Mm-hmm. And was this always the case? Um, I've always been somebody who likes to exercise and definitely probably was a weight loss tool, but as I started to learn about intuitive eating, I was like, if I don't enjoy it and I feel burnt out from it, I'm not gonna do it. And And I I haven't lost weight from going to the gym, but I feel great. And when I am able to stay in that mindset, I'm doing this for self-care. I'm doing this to feel good. It's amazing. It feels, it really does feel spiritual.
0: Very nice. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Um, Probably making challah. Mm, Yeah, it's fun. I like making challah a lot. Yeah. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Uh, Probably lighting the Hanukkah candles. As, as a, all my family. Uh, as a child and a big yeah. family. That must yeah. have been fun. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> Is everybody close by or, or your siblings spread all over the world?
1: Um, actually, I live in Woodmere and I have oh, I have three siblings that live in Farakway and one's getting married tomorrow and moving to Bayswater. So oh,
0: mazel Yeah, up. a lot
1: of us are here. It's
0: Very really nice. nice. By the way, I didn't ask you this, but given the story of what happened in your teens and how you ended up in this field and everything, how you've progressed in this this, this field up till now, what is your what do your parents say? What do they think? So Um, I definitely or what or what were those initial conversations like?
1: (laughs) So not a lot of my family members, I feel like they don't really get it. They'll still be like, don't look at my plate. And I'm like, I don't really care about what you're eating. Like, don't worry, like, don't be so nervous around me. Or like, Oh, you eat cake. And I'm like, are you really asking me that question? (laughs) But I, I I think it used to annoy me more. And now I'm just I, I really have come to this sense of like, calm, like nobody, like people don't understand intuitive eating. And that's okay. Because the last 30 years people have been brainwashed that dieting is like the end all and be all and like I'm not going to change it with one conversation and that's why I said before like sometimes we just plant seeds and that's all we had, that's all we could do and it's okay. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something I wish I'd learned about Judaism growing up is I wish I learned that davening is talking to Hashem. Oh nice. I
1: feel like I didn't learn that till I was in seminary and I and and I was so disconnected from davening as a teen and and I don't always have it now, but when I do, it's it's very connecting.
0: Hmm. When I give tzedakah, I'd like to give to? So I
1: like to give to people who have lost a parent. So like, let's say like single moms, like for their kids or because I recently lost my mom. So it, like, is very near and dear to my heart. And I also like to give to um, chesed organizations that, that help with infertility, because I have a lot of friends and family members I have struggled. So that's like very important to me also. And also people who are learning in since My husband learned in for so many years.
0: <laughs> nice. Very nice. You know, it's, it's important to give to things that really are meaningful and like just uh, near and dear to our hearts. So beautiful. Finally, I'm Gila Glassberg, and today I'm most grateful for. I am. Um, I know this is
1: cliche to say, but really <laughs> for being interviewed on this podcast, oh, I'm so excited. That's very sweet.
0: <laughs> and I appreciate you. And I'm going to sneak in another question before we tell listeners where to find you. And this might be a tough one, and you might not like it, but it just came to my mind. I know we are rejecting the diet mentality, and uh, wholeheartedly, I'm all for it. But there are people who perhaps for their health do need to lose weight, Gila, what do Mm -hmm. we do then? What does that woman or man have to do then? Right, that's a that's
1: a good question. And most people do have that question. So I always say, um, we do focus on healthy behaviors, we just don't focus on the weight. So so sometimes, um, when people do change their habits, they will lose weight, but sometimes they won't. So so whether or not um, they need to lose weight, it, the diet isn't working. <laughs> so meaning like, I mm-hmm. love to I want to educate people on their hungerfulness cues and noticing when they're using food to cope with their emotions and learn to respect their body, even if they don't love the way that it looks. And a lot of times, if they haven't been doing that, they will lose weight. Um, But sometimes they won't. And there might be, you might have to do other things to help them with their with their health, let's say medication or something,
0: right, but at least the now they've adopted healthy behaviors. And there's been a mindset shift as well. Yeah, because
1: I I had a client this year, actually, and she had, um, she didn't have diabetes, but she did have hyper hyperglycemia, so high blood sugar. And I told her, I don't do weight loss. And I'm happy to help with healthy behaviors and she's like yeah I'm not even here for for weight loss and she came to me and we worked together for a few weeks and she called me she's like my blood levels have have normalized Mm. from the behavior she didn't lose any weight that's very nice so we have to separate the the weight with the health
0: we really do Beautiful. And, mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, I just want to say that it's it that point is so important because people when they when they don't lose weight, they think they're they think they already won't be healthy anyway, so they won't even go to the doctor because of that.
0: Right. It like feeds again that well, I'm a failure anyway. Or like the phase. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So please everybody
1: go to the doctor, go to the dietitian take care of your health. Of course, I'm promoting health. But you don't have to focus on the weight
0: Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. So informative. So important. Where can we find you? Okay, so you can find me at my website www.gilaglassberg.com
1: and at Instagram Gila Glassberg.
0: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so so much. Have a great day. Thanks to Gila Glassberg for stopping by. You can reach out to Gila if you have more questions, and you can find her on her website at gilaglassberg.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. It's good to be back. I'm actually thinking Gila planted this thought in my head that I should do a replay of the episode with faggy Pollock, um, which she mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. It aired back all the way in 2017. It's episode 35, and it's actually one of my most downloaded episodes. I think it's the most downloaded episode on this podcast. If you've noticed, um, Feige, well you might not know but Feige is a an expert on marital intimacy and she teaches a course which, um, through which she sponsors this show you may have heard the ad, um, it's called Unblock Your Way to Oneness uh, which, which Gila mentioned and Gila took this course and I have many other listeners who've taken the course and everybody who I've talked to just highly recommends it you can check out that course and get your special Jewish Latin Princess discount at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness. So I'm um, thinking for a while I thought I should do a replay because it's a really, really good episode. And especially if I want to go on a bit of a break again. Um, <laughs> I So I don't leave you hanging. Thanks to everyone who wrote in asking, hey, where's the podcast? We miss the podcast. I'm here. I promise I'm here. And I'm here with such fun episodes lined up. It was just a bit too much about mitzvah and everything else that was going on in my life. But um, all that to say that we're back. We're back. We're back. We're always here. Ladies, if you're enjoying this episode, this podcast, please take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. Um, they really come a long way. We're almost at the three year mark on this show, um, which feels really huge that I've been doing this for almost three years, pretty much consistently. Um, and I'd love to see those reviews increase. Um, because I know there's a lot more you of you tuning in that when the reviews actually show and these reviews are really important when it comes to iTunes. Um, so I'd love for you to leave one if you haven't. Next week, we dive into a fun topic and kindness with the fun and fabulous founders of the kindness atm so stay tuned for that i hope you have a wonderful week thanks for listening to jewish latin princess podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on itunes leave a rating and share the podcast with the jewish women you love